We're doing part two of a conversation with Kenneth today. Last time we talked a lot about performance management and OKRs, but this time we're going to talk about some different things. Thanks for taking time for a part two, Kenneth. Yay, excited about this. Okay, so we're going to start with a very fun subject, I think. Many say that failure is the path to success, right? Uh, Maybe you can share some stories based on your experience of companies that maybe failed somewhere along the way doing OKR adoption. They've reflected on it, they've learned some things, and then they eventually succeeded and incorporated OKRs as a part of their operational rhythm. Can you talk through some of those stories with us? Absolutely. So yeah, in OKRs, what's become the norm is that you fail. It's just become the norm, hasn't it? Now, there are many reasons to it. So let's strike off the reasons. The first reason why OKRs generally fail is because the leadership team says, here's something that we heard about. Go read a book and let's start doing it. So that's the first reason. And then people go, they read the book, they have different ideas about the book. There are different ways because the book or the books don't really tell them exactly what to do. They just tell them the promises. And now different people have different ways to consider them. And because the CEO has attended a conference or has been or read the book himself or herself, they tell others to do the same thing. And they come with, it's, it's like mashed potato. It's, it's a mixed vegetable stew. It's everything put in together. And they're not really sure what is it that they want to do with it, but they just know they have to write an O and the KR. And then they write it, they see, oh, but isn't this the same thing as smart? And they say, why do I have to do this every quarter? And then the mojo dies off. And then you have people who are just writing business as usual goals as OKRs. And then the CEO comes knocking on our door and says, hey, Kenneth, hey, OKR International, help us. 70% of our current business is based on that at the moment. Seven out of 10 clients come to us saying, we are trying OKRs or we are tried OKRs and it's not working. We either lost the mojo, it has fizzled out, or and then we go back and ask them why. And then we go back and see that, oh, you know what? They just started out off without really putting thought to it. Now, what's the reason why it fails? Why isn't it as simple as reading a book and getting it done? OKRs are actually very simple. They are. I want to simplify it for everybody. It's very simple. But the mistake that people tend to make is that they don't use a change management approach. You've got to use a clear-cut change management approach in order for this to work. People think, oh, it's just like writing goals. You know, we do this all the time. So what's different about it? But what they fail to see is certain things about OKRs that makes it so different. The first aspect of it is the transparency. It's a huge game changer. I know we're going to talk about non-technical organizations, but non-tech organizations and many traditional organizations do not thrive in transparency. Why is that? They thrive in non-transparent environments. Why? Because they're competitive. They yeah. come internally. Mm. They're competitive internally, right? They, they, it's almost matching up to the Joneses, your neighbors, right? So within your own, within your own organization, you're always playing catch up or you're trying to be one better within the organization. So of course that is there. Now you do have collaborative organizations as well, and they are, have a better platform to use OKRs. But again, 
transparency doesn't exist that much more in an organization because the system is not that way. Imagine there's a factory producing toothbrushes in one corner of the world. There's another factory managing toothpastes at the other corner of the world. There's another factory managing and manufacturing technology that assists these factories. Now, they do not necessarily need to that much talk to each other. So there's no need, really. That makes sense. That makes sense. Right. Right. So there are there are teams and there are departments that don't really need codependence or they need all of that. That maybe a lot of tech organizations have. So that is why organizations fail to understand what does transparency mean for an organization. To what level should we get it? The second thing is the rigor and the discipline needed. They don't know what they're signing up for. So they think it's oh once a quarter we set it up. And the next quarter, we just change the numbers and that's it. So if my objective is to be the most safe plant this quarter, then next quarter, my objective remains the same. My KR says that I need to reduce my number of safety incidents by X. The next quarter becomes X plus. It's serial cloning that someone called it serial cloning. You're just like, I'm going to clone. I'm going to clone. I'm going to clone. Because that's what we're accustomed to with KPIs anyway, right? That number is going to be static for a very long time. Absolutely. And I just put up a post yesterday where I said that that's the dashboard fallacy. You only measure what you always keep on measuring. And when you do that, you're just changing the numbers. So you say, oh, you know what? We're doing OKR, so we've got to put in a stretch. So next quarter, I put another stretch. The following quarter, I put another stretch. And I'm going to speak about stretch also being one of the reasons for failure in OKR. So you see that they copy paste it. They don't see the need for the rigor and the discipline for conversations, to talk to each other, to debate to ask how relevant this goal is, to ask are there headwinds and tailwinds that are happening across within the world or the organization that that demand us to change our OKRs, those conversations are not happening. So the relevancy gets lost. So transparency, relevancy, copy-pasting. Let's speak about stretch. Most, of, most organizations do not really understand what is their appetite for stretch. Which is really a proxy for what is your appetite for failure, right? Because that's what we're saying when we say stretch. I may not make it. We, our team may not make it. We may fail. Because this is outside of, some, maybe to some degree, outside of our realm of control. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That makes sense to yeah. me. Okay. And, and, and in, you, you, there are companies. So one of the organizations that we started off with, this was a marketing-based organization. The, the first two quarters, they were all so excited with OKRs. They're like, yeah, so amazing. We're going to change the world using our marketing technologies. And every goal was audacious. It was fabulous. The energy in the room, they were setting the OKRs was palpable. Third, fourth quarter, it started dipping. You become the victim of your own success. That's another reason. You... So people start achieving, they start burning the midnight oil, they start stretching, they start innovating, they start doing all of these things. And third quarter, fourth quarter, they lose energy. And that's what happens. And you have already set a benchmark for yourself the previous quarter. You've got to be better the next quarter. You get tired. There's exhaustion. And of course, you can say, oh, you've got to coach your way through it. You've got to help people, organizations learn to be more innovative. All of those things happen in, but then 
see, it's work is work. And not everybody is the founder. Not everyone is like an employee at Google who comes into work every day and says, I want to make a difference to the world that I live in through technology. Not everyone is like that. Some people just want to get paid so that they can take care of the rest of their life, right? Absolutely. Some of those people just live for the weekend. Yeah, sure. Majority of the world probably lives that way. So they can be temporarily motivated by the promise of what OKRs are. And then thereafter, they lose the mojo. In fact, this is exactly what the head of supply chain of one of all the organizations told us. Kenneth, we're losing the mojo with mm. OKRs. What did you tell them? How do you turn this story around? Because this is 70% of your customer base coming yeah. back and saying, Kenneth, we lost the mojo. We're not making it. Whatever we had in the initial days, all of that excitement, it's gone. What do we do now? What do you tell them? Yeah, I think this is where what becomes really powerful is coming back to what's the business all about. And one of the things that we do really well, really well, and this is, and I'm just fresh out of a trading program with one of my favorite organizations in the world, and that is Shell, the oil company. I just love them to bits because they have an amazing organizational culture with everything else that's going around them. There's a lot of flack that they're facing, but internally, they're a really strong organization. And the reason for that is purpose. What fuels organizations, and we're just speaking about it, you showed me the book Fifth Discipline. I see the book Conscious Business. The key thing in all of this is purpose, right? And organizations who understand that there's a larger game at play rather than just revenues are able to bring and attract people who will work towards it. Not everybody, again, because there are people who live paycheck to paycheck, but there will be a percentage of people who will then take the company faster with OKR. So you need to bring purposeful leadership within organizations where you're trying to do OKRs at the same time. If your OKRs are the same drab revenue, record, EBITDA, profit, margins, if it's the same thing quarter after quarter, you will lose the spirit with it. And that's where the mojo gets lost. So it's that intrinsic motivation, the Daniel Pink kind of idea that honestly, just working in an environment of where you're working with smart people who aren't jerks, right? That you know are going to deliver. You can count on them. You're not going to get stabbed in the back. Right. And that you all understand your role and responsibility in service of what you're trying to achieve together. And then hopefully you make it. Then this idea of look at what we did, look at what we learned, look at what we achieved. Hopefully that is rewarded in and of itself is what you're saying. And if you just copy and paste your way through it, you're removing that element, that spark of creativity. That makes sense. And I, want to add on to that. and I want to add on a little bit more to this because I think this is essential for all the OKR coaches and consultants out here, whether internal or external. When I said change management approach in the beginning, when I answered this question with that, is because many people fail to see this as a change management piece. It's not like you're plugging and playing an, an, an existing system. You've got, to be, you've got to appreciate OKRs that it will take the shape to a certain extent of that of the organization. And hence, when you're coding in OKRs, it might be the number of O's and KRs that you want. It can be as simple as that. It could be as complicated as who does OKRs, who doesn't do OKRs. Uh, 
It could be as where do you start off with? Do you start off with the leadership team and then do you go down to functions or do you start with products and services and do you set OKRs with products and services? Or do you say, oh, you know what, let's focus on only innovation and all our OKRs are going to be based around the theme like innovation. You've got to be very clear that certain organizations will have certain starting points and certain endpoints as well on where the OKRs will be. In all of this, my best recommendation is going to be the book uh, called Switch by the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, in which they speak about there are two things in change management, the rational aspect of change. That means you're giving them logic, you're giving them steps, you're giving them best practices. And second is the emotional part on the why we're doing this change. And you're able to drive both of them. Uh, within an organization, there are a lot of, say, more progressive pockets. It might be your IT team. It might be your R&D team. It might be a bunch of people working on a very super sexy uh, product. Try start off with them first. Give yourself a case to do OKRs within your organization. And then take it out. The big mistake people do is they do big bang rollouts. And so just right now, a huge financial company, the top three in the world has reached out to us and they have just been mandated to write OKRs within 30 days for everybody. Everyone. 30 days? 30 days, 25,000. Does everyone know how to do it? Do they even nope. know what OKRs are? Nope, nothing. It's just that the leadership team says we're going to OKRs, we're doing it, now write OKRs. That sounds terrifying. They're not even clear of the software that they're going to use. Yeah. So this is what's happening. They're saying, oh, you know what? October, November, December is a perfect quarter for us to start off with OKRs. Let's do it now. It's, it's the final quarter of the year. The next year, we can begin with a bang. But they're already beginning with a bang and people are already nervous. And we have people reaching out to us from that company saying, help us. What do we do here? So don't do big mm. bang rollouts. Please don't do don't, yeah. I will second that. Be really thoughtful about where you're going to start. And if you start to go sideways at some point, it, here's the thing, I think. I was listening to the, C, the former founder CEO of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, and then I was listening to Sam Altman. They were having a conversation around the Y Combinator kind of crew. And... They were talking about scaling and the, because Reed has the Masters of Scale podcast. I highly recommend to listen. It's amazing. It's so good. One element of scale is that you're going to experience chaos. You cannot eliminate chaos. It's just not possible. And if you try, it might not be worth it. You're just going to have to accept that there's going to be a some amount of crazy. But the idea is to scale well, right? And when we scale, we are inviting more chaos, more confusion. To what degree do you need to revisit what you've done and refactor how it's working, if it's working, what to do if it's not working? And I think that's what you help people with when the 70% is coming back to you and saying, we got a mandate. We've been doing this for two cycles. It's not working anymore. This is an element, a moment to revisit and refactor. That's the work. And somebody's got to do it. And I also recommend that you, you get a coach to help you through that because they've seen countless implementations 
every shape, size, scale, and they can tell you about it. So I'm a big fan of people who do this for a living and, and help people do this because it's not, it, the idea is simple. It's not easy, people. It's not easy. Absolutely. And I'm going to piggyback on this. I love what you're talking about here, Jenny. People mistake, and you said about chaos and, and scale. When you scale, there's chaos, right? And then what people say is, you know what? In order to cut that out, set lesser number of OKRs, prioritize. Sounds easier said than done because... Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Organizations are diverse. They work in... And the companies that I work with, they have like around 50 products, multiple services spread across the globe, billion dollar strategies. Think about their customer segmentation even. Absolutely. Who are they serving? And also some scale-ups. Oh my gosh. Scale-ups who have massive... You know, the appetite of growth for a, for, for a developing country like India is massive. So if you tell them three to five OKRs only, they'll, they'll laugh. laugh at you. Absolutely. <laughs> laugh they at say you. Every, yeah, you everything is important. So I've seen a lot of people saying, I've heard a lot of people saying, in order to make things easy for you, have one OKR. Distilling everything that you want to get done in a single line. <laughs> Although I've seen it done. I have seen it done. It is possible, it is. but the it's amount done. of work and thought and effort to reduce something to that level of simplicity, like simplicity is incredibly difficult. Don't waste time doing that. Mm. Have five or six OKRs if it's you okay. need to. And, and be okay. okay. Don't mm. try to make things easier because you want to make it. Don't try to make things simple just because it can be easier. A lot of stuff like, as you said, when there's chaos, and that is why you need leaders with the right set of integrative ability, being able to integrate things. As a consultant, you don't need to worry about the fact that you have an organization having six or seven OKRs. I know I train it. It's a part of my test in the exam. How many OKRs are recommended? And the right answer is three to five. But here's the thing. It's not a rule. So a lot of organizations who come to us say, oh, somebody told us to have three to five. But what we're seeing happening is people are writing their own set of OKRs and it goes down to seven, eight, nine, ten. And then people tell us that is wrong. But then we are like, where do we where, where do we put in all our O's and our KRs that are so important to us? And then we sit down and look and ask them how important. Okay, we might be able to distill and filter out some that are not. But it's an organization like that is still left with six, seven O's and maybe some OKRs as well. The idea is not to stick by the book and tell them rules. The idea is to check with them what's really important. And that's an important part of converting a failed OKR process into a successful process. See what's important for them, not what a book tells you to do. I really appreciate this part of the conversation. Just to hammer this home, when you scale, we are introducing more chaos. It's just inevitable. The way you should be thinking about it, I think this is what you're saying, Kenneth, is do not scale process, scale principles. And this ties back to, you know, the prior episode we recorded, which is, you know, what was the intent? Are you still focused? Are you still transparent? Are you, do you still have a line of sight to strategy? Are you still aligned to the degree that makes sense? And if principally you can say yes to all that, 
then who cares then on the test it says three to five OKRs. Get your seven and go. Just accept that's how you're going to do it and it works for you and that you're not working in service of the framework. The framework is working in service of you and what you want to achieve. That's how you need to be thinking about it. So we'll talk about the power of collaboration and continuous dialogue because that's where this book comes in to me. You shared a book with me that I'm definitely going to read. And we'll cite that as Conscious Business. Fred Kaufman, really excited to look at that. But if you look at the very top, it says, in the long run, the only sustainable source of competitive edge is your organization's ability to learn faster than its competitors. So let's talk about how OKRs promotes collaboration between teams. It fosters camaraderie. It leads to empowered workforces. If you're doing this right, I think people should feel more empowered and not feel like Big Brother is looking at them. That would be weird. Maybe you can help us understand like how why this is and maybe how are some businesses getting this wrong? Because they're so focused on the outputs and the outcomes that they miss that the collaboration and continuous dialogue is what you want to foster. Yeah, and, and this is a big part of our implementation handbook and how we help organizations with OKRs. We say writing OKRs is only 20% the job done. 80% is on the conversations that you have with OKRs through the quarter or through the whichever cadence you choose. Right. So 80% comes in there. Now, what does this mean? So very clearly, we talk about the fact that, yes, OKRs does promote collaboration and you've got to enhance it. You've got to create, that means, the right platforms, the rituals, the tools and the systems and the culture to make that happen, right? So how does that work? So one of the some of the best practices that we do, at least in our implementation as consultants, is that for the first quarter, we will tell the organization that we want to be involved in at least up to 10 to 20% of all your OKR-related meetings. Whether it's a setting meeting, whether it's a check-in, a small stand-up check-in, or whether it is a cadence review where you you are having all your stakeholders coming in and doing a learning meeting. We want to be there and we want to guide the teams on how to have proper conversations. Very happy to say that, and this is where we're very happy with this, because of just doing this piece of one or two quarters with a client, we just do one or two quarters now with a client, we've seen the success rate of OKRs is source to the roof and the ability to do it by themselves by the third quarter increases dramatically. We just don't need to come back to that organization anymore. So what do we do? We set certain rituals. So first is, of course, an individual responsibility to check in with your data. So if you know the progress, you check in your progress. And along with data, you also check in confidence. How are you feeling about this particular O and the KR that you are a part of? Okay, so that is an individual responsibility. We make sure that there's a discipline in checking in. The second thing is in the cadence review. Now, the cadence review is not a general stand-ups, tell me what you're doing kind of a review. The review here is what are you learning? The focus is this is what you're going to do. What have you learned in the last 15 days to 30 days since we met last that you can share with us. The focus is learning. And hence, because of this learning, what is it that you want to do differently in the next 15 days or 20 days from now before we meet again? So the conversations are based on that 
30 minutes, one hour of time that it takes once in 15 days to do a cadence review. This is often missed in an OKR implementation program. Who's in that room, Kenneth? Who's in that room? The owners. The, the owners. people who's mm. the owners of the O's and the and the contributors of initiatives towards the KRs. So in our model, what we say is every O needs to have an owner, wherever you are. Every KR will have people contributing to the KR as initiative owners. So those people need to be present in the room. People who are actioning effort to move the needle on a KR. So they need to be in a room and it's compulsory that everybody is there. If they're not there, they send somebody in their place. Or if they're not there, they send the information in the place. So we, that's, that's a practice. Another great practice that we started off with, and this, is, this has been simply amazing for us, is we started a practice called BET. We start this BET. It's before every cadence review, we start with a bet. Place your bet. Now, what does place your bet means? B stands for the behavior that you really appreciate, the effect of that behavior on you and your team, your stakeholders, your customers, and T is your thank you. Walk us through an example. I would love to hear an example that you probably coach people through and you probably did about an hour ago with your client. <laughs> so I'll give you an example that really stands out for me. This is again, a large organization that we worked with. Sales divisions spread across the country, North, East, South, and West of India. Now sales within an organization is inherently internally very competitive. That means they want to be better than the other region. So North wants to be better than South, South wants to be better than East and West, right? Because that's how you get your better quota the next quarter. That's how you get your incentives. That's what you want to show that you're better. Now, when we did the cadence for the sales team's OKRs, when all of them came in and uh, we said, okay, you know what, before you start telling us what your OKRs are, we want to start, we want to start with the bets. So we had the East team person coming in and saying something like uh, the head of the East team, giving a bet to one of the retail sales teams that helps them with the, all the retail planning and gives them a bet openly in front of each other, telling them that this particular format that you sent me helped me organize my plan so really well because of which I was able to sell more or do more. And for that, thank you. These people never shared appreciation with each other like that in an open forum. And when they saw that the next meeting, there was a flood of appreciations. People started wanting to share what's working for them with each other. They wanted to, it was a psychological difference. So this is what OKRs does. The transparency of OKRs is not only in the data, it's also in the collaborative effort that people are putting in and the need to show that effort to everybody else. What happened is within two, two, two months, this team was transformed. They're happy, they're talking to each other. They're not just waiting for their turn. They're listening to what each other have to say. And when a person says, I got success because I ran this new scheme, this new process, then another person in the West says, tell me more, what worked for you? How can I replicate it in my region? Conversations were happening around that. No way. Yeah. I, I believe you. I don't, I know you not to be a liar, but this yeah. is sales. This is, are, sales. this is sales. They're yeah. very competitive. I work with the sales team. They're competitive people and it's good. And I love that because you need people like that in the world. What I want to say, Kenneth, just to dump on what you said in a positive way, because you mentioned prior to sharing this story is about 
really touching on culture. And I recently, I used to believe, and I still do, that culture is not on a sheet of paper or a poster that you would put on a wall or a website. It is the outcome of what you, you hire, fire, reward, and reprimand. It's really a component of those things. But recently, somebody changed my mind about what culture could be. And I'm like, man, I've held this belief, hire, fire, reward, reprimand for pretty much the whole of my professional career at this point. And I've been a professional for outside of college for over 20 years. This person said these three questions. How are you holding each other accountable to the mission? Mm. How are you holding each other accountable to the way that you work? How are you holding each other accountable to how to have high performance? Yeah. That's culture. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about here. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, incredible. Game changing. Yeah. I love this. So there's more. There's more here. So bets were another thing. So they would start their meeting with bets. And it was great. It, it it just kept on happening. Of course, then the people started realizing, okay, I think we're doing too much of it. We've got to scarf. Now let's... <laughs> we need to get to the work. <laughs> what are we going to do next? <laughs> too much of a good thing is not a good thing, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, yes. To, oh, we're talking about good things only. I think it's time we talk about what's not working as well. Bets on what's not working. So even, Love it. even failure started getting talked about. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantiv. Quantiv is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantiv helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. Another good conversation that started happening, this is a part of your review mechanism, is don't just talk about your OKRs, talk about headwinds and tailwinds. So we started another process called, what's the headwind to your OKRs and what are the tailwinds to your OKRs? Ooh, tell us more, Kenneth. Every So the CEO would, when he or she is doing their OKRs reviews, will start giving an external headwind and tailwind to the business saying now, this is what's happening. Do we need to alter our OKRs? Do we need to change our OKRs or certain aspects of it? Is it still relevant? So you're checking the relevancy of it, okay? Or what should we do for our OKRs in order to mitigate the headwind? So say, for example, the headwind is, okay, Russia, Ukraine, stuff going on, our import of this particular commodity prices yeah, increasing right. Right. Uh, how do we mitigate it because our production cannot be stopped our consumption is going to be high what can we do so then there is within the okrs okay do we need to change something for this to happen so there's a conversation tailwind you know what's happening currently the economy is not going to recession we parked a lot of money thinking that it's not going to happen so now we have a little bit more of free cash flow what do we do with that money we're not mm. going to recession so there's a conversation that happens now this is strategic external internal now, the same conversation we demand every leader of every team to have. Wait a second. Means, okay. So that yes. means, say, for example, you are, say, you are the head of a mark, say, digital marketing team, okay, and you have digital marketing OKRs, and you and your team are sitting together, you will say, what are the headwinds and tailwinds to our digital marketing efforts? Headwind could be... Google just transitioned everyone to GA4. 
we don't really know how to use it. Absolutely. Yeah. All how do we, did they change anything that affects yeah. what we should do? That's a headwind, right? Yeah. You, you, so you're being really on the ball. You're not isolating OKRs from the rest of the world and everything that's happening. It could be an internal headwind. It could be that, you know what, two of our team members are on leave next quarter for 15 days. What do we do? How do we manage it? Or it could be a tailwind and saying that, oh, you know what, we're just getting these three new interns coming in. Or we just did an acquisition. It's really an acquihire. Yeah. Where are we going to put these people? Yeah. Or what can we do with them? Yeah, we got this new AI tool, fancy AI tool that's going to help us right. do some little bit more stuff. What do we do with it? How do we include that within our OKRs? How do we help mm. certain of our initiatives or OKRs? So these conversations are important. And th this is what we do in this cadence reviews. Cadence reviews are not about saying, okay, show up, tell me what does your graph look like? Are you at 50? Are you at 60? Are you at 70? Oh, you're at 70. Come on, you got to, you did, uh, are you at 50? Oh, you got to do more. You got to be at You got to do push it. The conversations are not transactional anymore. The conversations are about learning. The conversations are about what to do. People are interested in coming for those meetings. That's a game changer because I think for a lot of people who do, let's say, regular let's quarterly business reviews or equivalents to that cadence they end up and i, I remember hearing a ceo of a fa fast growing scale up say it to me he was like jenny i call them show up and throw up meetings you just show up and you just throw up a bunch of stuff that honestly no one cares about and it's disgusting <laughs> 55 slides 55 slides ladies and gentlemen to be done in half an hour and he, he's, I needed to change this because we were in this weird mode of all of our L, L1s showing up and throwing up information that you could have read in advance. There was no value in actually gathering together to go over numbers that it's not like we're illiterate. We can read. And I was like, what did you do? And he said, we shifted to OKRs for this very reason. For this very reason, that you have engaged conversations. I like how you frame the headwinds, the tailwinds, the context, and really evaluating. But the other part, which I'd never heard anyone talk about openly, is this idea of bets. That is a game changer. And then I would say anti-bets. I love that too. Because if you are a fan of Richard Rummelt's stuff, he talks a lot about what kind of integrated action what are what's the outcome of the strategy what will that do and he seems to talk about there are things that you're just going to bet on and there are things that you're going to bet against so if we use unfortunately this is not a good example now uber right uber bet against needing to care about regulation whatsoever there was taxis are regulated in many countries many jurisdictions and they were like we're not going to care we're just going to go out there and deploy our operators, which were the drivers, and then our apps are going to be made available in those geographies. And you know what? We'll deal with the fallout later. Sadly, a lot of the bets that they went on to ensure that costs were kept low are not there anymore because they're more expensive, not just as expensive as taxis nowadays. So they're, the benefit's kind of gone. But I thought it was a really good example to share what you're talking about in terms of just thinking about the positive, but thinking also about what's not working. Okay, we're going to move on to OKRs, and unless you have other things to share. OKRs in non-tech environments. You have mentioned Shell on the show. You are working with heavily regulated global entities that have multiple centuries worth of life, right? 
this stuff started arguably in kind of the Silicon Valley stuff. All of us talk about Andy Grove, MBOs. He wrote about this in High Output Management. I think he dedicated two to four pages on this. He taught John Doerr. John Doerr is like, this is amazing. He taught Google how to do it. Then came Measure It Matters. All the CEOs read it and were like, this is awesome. And tech took it by storm. But now we're seeing non-tech industries look at this and say, can we adopt it too? Clearly, the answer is yes. What are the key differences or maybe unique challenges when implementing OKRs in non-tech industries from your experience? Yeah, I think if you divide non-tech industries from tech industries, the first larger division, they can be divided into two. One is you will have knowledge worker-based non-tech companies, knowledge workers like back, back office processing unit or knowledge KPO or kind of a consulting house, you know, company of industries that are very knowledge driven. And then you have industries that are less knowledge driven, but are more labor intensive products, companies, manufacturing setups, oil and gas, etc. So each one of them is to be treated differently. So the knowledge worker base can have similar kind of OKR set up like a tech company. So if I'm working with an insurance company, they majorly have knowledge workers. Majorly. Majorly. With the, with the, of course, they have a bulk of people as field force or underwriting staff or collection agents. They may or may not have OKRs, but most of the firm can have OKRs similar to an, you know, a tech company. For a blue-collared, labor-intensive organization, it changes. And we spoke about this the last time also as well. One of the things that you might be very mindful for is not everybody will need to write OKRs. That's one of the first things. You've got to be also very, very okay with the fact that the innovation cycles in labor-intensive companies are much more longer. So that means if I have to launch a product, it doesn't happen by a few people sitting overnight and coding something and creating a MVP thing. Uh, you actually have to physically make this. And then you have to retool yeah. a line so that you can scale the production, right? And you probably have internal tooling already that you will have yes. to adjust. And then you're going to need a supply chain, yeah. probably, to help you have the materials necessary to assemble at your plants. There's a lot of process, I can imagine, Absolutely. doing so this. So for places like that, please don't rock that boat. <laughs> I, I love that. You're just like, just don't. I've seen this. Yeah. Don't, don't do seen this. That. Don't do this. Yeah. So for manufacturing setups, let them work on the Gembas, the TQMs, and the Kaizen philosophies. It works with Six Sigma. It's working. It's amazing. It's fabulous. Maybe uh, you can, yeah, maybe you can make it more transparent. Maybe you can make it more social, make it as a social process rather than four or five black suits, Six Sigma management professionals coming to a factory and doing it. Maybe you can inv include more people in the process. So yeah, you can do a social process of doing what you're always doing. But again, you got to be mindful of the fact that it's, as you rightly said, those the cycles are longer. You've got to go through a whole lot of motions to change something or launch something. Hence, and that is where I say that if certain things take need to have a project nature, like the triple constraints, time, cost, quality, and they need to go through a project methodology, let them go through a project methodology. Don't need to force fit OKRs there. 
Where, so hence, where do OKRs can lie? OKRs can lie in such organizations at strategic levels. OKRs can lie for trans- certain transformation goals that they have. Like the flavor of the season today is digital transformation. So digital transformation OKRs, analytics OKRs. It could be about workplace engagement, a great place to work related OKRs. It could be about innovations. Of course, you could have innovation OKRs, but within which you'll have projects as KRs. There'll be milestone KRs instead. So you don't have really outcome KRs then. You'll be like, is has this project landed or not? It'll be stuff like that. Yes. I do have an example, though, to challenge it just slightly. Tell me. So I have a good story. I met this woman. I'm like, you are so cool. <laughs> As a kid, I ate a lot of potato chips. I still do. Big fan of the can of Pringles. Pringles, for some people, it's like a love-hate thing. Some people love Pringles. Uh, and some people hate it because they're just like, what if it's like press cardboard? What are we doing here? This woman said that they saw a seasonality trend with the sales of Pringles, which makes sense because when are you going to eat potato chips? In the summertime, warmer months, you're out picnicking, you bring a can of Pringles. And so they saw peak seasons being more of the warmer weather months. And they were like, okay, so then what do we do when revenue drops in, let's say, the fall or the winter? How can we increase sale of our product? So they decided to test out this new flavor idea where they were going to, instead of do savory chips, they would do sweet chips. So imagine like peppermint chocolate Pringles. And they were like, this is so weird, but will people like the novelty? And can we recoup some of the sales that dip in the fall winter months? They found that they could. So they had the existing product line, the production line. What they needed to work on was flavor combinations and additives to create those flavors and replicate them to the best of their ability, just like you would with, I don't know, Texas barbecue or whatnot. Fascinating example to me of we see an opportunity. Yes, we are a production line. Can we increase sales during the downturns that happen from a seasonality perspective for our product? And how do we go to market with that? How do we test it? There were so many things that they needed to take into consideration. But I think, I don't know if they used OKRs, I should have asked, but I think that was a really interesting way that they basically applied exactly what you're talking about here, Kenneth, in their construct and achieve results, because they did. And then eventually they started doing interesting marketing things to, t- to say to reach out to their customers and say, tell us what the next flavors would be. And the winner will make that flavor. And that's fun. Can you imagine reaching out to people and saying, apparently you all really like these sweet chips. Very good. What do you want to try next? And so they started doing that sort of stuff in their marketing work. And I was just like, oh, that is so cool. Anyway, so it is possible but you just need to think about what works and where. Be very deliberate, I think, Kenneth, is what you're saying. Be very deliberate about where you think you'll actually get the benefit of implementing this methodology. And this is important. This shared goal that um, as an organization, they believe that they have to recoup during those, those down months, those down quarters, 
They have to do something that can get them up. The shared goal, that's a perfect case for an OKR. Yeah. And then sales, R&D, marketing, everybody come together in, in making sure that we're able to tell what the customer likes, do some testing, do some... MVP is possible here in the design. You can do... You can create focus groups. You can do all of that. OKRs can work in something like this. So innovation OKRs, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Yeah. So coming back to the question about non-tech, what makes them different? I said slower cycles for innovation. Again, as you said, there's an asterisk to it, so it depends. Mm -hmm. Classic, (laughs) Uh, classic consultant response, which is necessary. Yeah. It is, it is. And the other thing is you got, I was just speaking to the CEO of an insurance company just a week ago, and they hired a very big agile training company to train them and certify them on agile because they wanted to move some of their work on agile based teams, squads, tribes, fancy words. So all of that, and they were trained on safe. Okay. Yep. Scaled agile framework for those not familiar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and it seems 90% of the people who walked out of the five-day training program said, we have no clue on how we can use this here. Because it wasn't contextualized. Right? So here's the thing. When you're working for a non-tech company, you've got to keep in mind that your formula for using OKRs for a tech company don't work in a non-tech company. And I'm going to come back to it again. You've got to be contextualizing it. Again, what is their, when do they do their planning when do they do their budgeting what is their performance management cycle what is the organizational culture who makes decisions within the organization how where how much are they spread what are their plans for growth what does their balance sheet look like as a consultant i have to look at all of these things what is their culture what is their appetite what for their potentially pu- not being successful their risk tolerance level there's a lot of considerations Absolutely. For sure. It's a lot of consideration. Mm. You take a look at all of these things and say, all right, okay, so now what's going to be a method, an OKR setup that's going to work for them? I don't show them templates till I meet with them five or six times. And then I say, okay, here is a possibility. Maybe we can shape our OKRs like this. Very bespoke. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Tech companies is fairly easy. Knowledge workers, understood standard work groups so it's understood another thing to keep in mind is be okay with the fact that some of the cadences could be longer you may not necessarily be okay with a three-month quarterly cadence maybe it could be four months maybe it could be half yearly or maybe you just do it once a year yeah because it doesn't change they're not doing okrs for agility they're doing okrs for alignment many of these non-tech companies say we want alignment collaboration they don't say agility they don't say stretch They say, we want everybody to know what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. That's it. And we want accountability. And so then that changes the game, like you said, on some of the decision points. Are we an organization that will set stretch, committed, or hybrid? It sounds like in that environment, they would say, we're going for committed. I want a high degree of confidence from whomever is involved that we're going to reach our key result. That's a good note. Now, I'm going to contribute everything that I just said. By saying something, okay. I'm, I'm just... and I love it when you do that. Do it, do it. You're like, I just said a bunch of stuff that sounded amazing and smart, and is true because it's yeah. grounded in real life stories. But let me just turn let's, for let's you. Turn. Now let's let's do ask it. why do non-tech companies come to you for OKRs? Why? Because they don't want to be non-tech companies only. They don't want that label. They want to be seen as progressive, forward, 
fast-paced organizations. The reason they choose to do OKRs is also because there's a promise of something be- beyond what they currently are. We've got to appreciate that too. Mm. So you can't say, mm. oh, you're non-tech, you can't do OKRs the tech way. So as a consultant, we're also very mindful of that. We appreciate the desire to do OKRs and we don't tell them what they cannot do. That's very important. What we tell them is, okay, if you're saying you want to bring in everyone to do OKRs, just say a Google does, or if you want to do, if you want to do stretch OKRs, just like a LinkedIn does or somebody else does. Okay, how do we make that possible for you? Is it going to be everywhere? Is it going to be some? What's your app? You have to have conversations with them and and see the possibility of their desires. So. That's where you are. We don't say no. You got to you got to fuel those desires. There's a reason why they come to you. And of course, there might be some people who just blindly come to you after reading a book and say, "Ah, oh, I want to do OKRs just because my neighbor is doing OKRs," and read the book. Yeah, be mindful of it. I think that's a really good note. If I were to summarize it, we talk a lot about this. I think in a startup to scale up transition, what got you here is not what's going to get you there. And I think for these established companies that have been around 200, 250 years that you're getting to work with, which is amazing, they know that what got them here is not going to get them there. How can they play the infinite game if we were to use that idea, right? This is not we're going to win and we're going to lose. Although we do want to be winners in the market. We want to be in the top right. We want to be the you know company that is in this category that everyone says, this is the brand, right? But really, it's about continuing to exist in the world. And when you're playing the infinite game, I go back to this, we had this conversation before, you got to run the business and you got to change the business. You mentioned this too. And the changing of the business is the OKRs part, people. And the KPIs is the run the business, make sure that we're healthy, make sure that we survive so that we can play the infinite game because we continue to exist. So at Shell, they use a particular term called paradoxical leadership. Um, And at Unilever, they use a term called ambidextrous leadership. So it's almost the same thing. Uh, But the the key thing is to piggyback again on what you're saying. Um, You have your core business, which you want to exploit. So you have an existing product, you want to sell more. You have an existing region, you want to penetrate and make sure that you're reaching the right section of your region and your demographic. So there's an exploit aspect. You have a current workforce, you want to use the same workforce to do more. You want to multiply your business, you want to exploit. And then there's a part of your business which is explore. And explore, you want to find new ways of working, new avenues, new methods, new technology, future-proofing. In, in a lot of stuff happens here. So as leaders within an organization, they want to do both. And the, one of the reasons they come to you for OKRs is they say, oh, you know what? We're doing well here and exploit, but we also need to explore. And to explore, we cannot use the same methods and the systems that we do for our current. We've got to find new methods. And that is why that that is why the that CEO of the insurance company trained everybody on Agile, right? It's because can we see an opportunity to do something different, to work something different? How about creating products faster in the marketplace, insurance products quicker in the marketplace? And we have a team of product uh, managers and researchers and insurance financial experts who can create financial instruments faster 
than others or processes faster. There's a desire there. So of course, when they came back and they said, we can't do this, then the question then comes, what can you do with the knowledge that you have? Now that yeah, to bring it all together with this for non-traditional organizations, as a consultant, you will appreciate that there's a desire for them to be different. They do traditionally aspire to mimic Silicon Valley. But of course, there are companies who are far ahead of many Silicon Valleys as Silicon companies as well. And again, I will tell you Unilever and Shell, my Colgate, these are my favorite companies to work for hundreds and hundreds of years of them being around and they have matured into an organization that if you walk in you feel oh my god this this is even better than a silicon valley company you know that's the kind of cultures that they have and when they say that they want to move towards okrs the reason why they want to do it is not because they have something wrong going on it's because they have an aspiration they say it's not that we want to mimic silicon valley it's because we actually see a value that okrs can give us that's really exciting to hear which i think tees us up really well for our final question do you think that there's an end to okrs will this kind of hype cycle because people talk about hype cycles and People jump on it, and then there's this trough of despair. Well, OKR is a fizzle. What do yeah. you think, Kenneth? All right. So let's be honest here, okay? MBOs, how long did that last? Balance Co card, how long did that last? 40X. Yeah, KPIs is not really a methodology, so it'll always be there. Uh, OKRs. And the way they have been defined and the way they have been created in its current avatar, unfortunately, have an expiry date. That's when companies start realizing that they have been forced into a methodology that gave the promise of flexibility, but then is straightjacketing them in frameworks, templates, modalities, where they start losing the mojo. And then you hear more and more people saying what not to do with OKRs rather than what to do. One of my purpose with OKRs is tell them about what to do with OKRs. And that's why I talk about best practices. I see what works. I see OKRs, when you start looking at OKRs beyond a syntax, that's when it'll work. If you think OKRs is just writing O's and KRs and then my job is done, that's where it'll stop working. People start getting disenchanted with it. When you start saying that the only uh, you've got to make all your OKRs stretch, then people will become victims of their own successes. They'll get disenchanted with it. When you start uh, saying that everybody should write OKRs, but they actually don't, then people say, why do I have to change my to-do list into an OKR list? When you force everybody to convert their to-do list into, into OKRs, they'll st start getting disenchanted with it. And that's when it'll meet an expiry date. The idea is, along with OKRs, and I'd like to, I'd like to bring back John Doerr there. I think a lot of people have misunderstood what he was really selling. He wasn't selling just an acronym or two acronyms. He was changing. He was helping organizations understand what can they do better in order for them to succeed. And he didn't say that you've got to write O's and KR's and that's it. He also brought in CFRs, the conversations, the feedback, the recognition 
Of course, I would have loved for him to explain a little bit more about it and talk it through rituals and ways and methodologies. But I think a lot of other good authors and thought leaders in OKRs have done a fantastic job. I think you've got to bring both of that together, the OKRs, the acronym, and all the rituals and practices that need to come along with it. And tell a client that is not just about filling templates and trackers, but it's also about having those conversations, just like the way I explained it, headwinds, tailwinds, bets. I like another one. Mondays are for goals and Fridays are for wins. But there are different kind of rituals. You start setting them up, you see OKRs working for you. Then there's no expiry date. We've worked together and known each other for a while. I think we're in the same camp here. But clearly you put it way more eloquently than I possibly ever could. Kenneth, thanks again for being on the show and dedicating extra time to just share with us what you've learned and your experiences so that our listeners can benefit and maybe adopt some of these things, the things that enable us to not have an expiry date on what we consider Hmm. a pretty potent and powerful framework if used correctly. Here's, we'll leave this because I think Kenneth and I agree. You use them well, they will serve you. If you don't, it'll probably do more harm than good. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kenneth. It's been such a joy. I learned so much today on the show. Thank you. It was fun. Loved it again, Jenny. So much. (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.